Welcome to Right Stuff Radio, where we showcase Christian authors worldwide. Each week, join me for a new author and a great new book to add to your library. Welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we're going to be talking to my returning guest co-host and contributor today, Larry Paris. Let me tell you why I love Larry. Larry has been a longtime supporter of the show. and He's also been a contributor. I love his heart for making sure that we write good fiction. And I loved his first book that we showcased on the show a couple of years ago called The Darkened Land. Now we're going to be showcasing the second book called The Bessoner, The Man Who Would Not Die. That's available on Amazon.com. So make sure you go ahead and pick up your copy today. We definitely want to give a shout out to Mary Finley. She is the one who created the covers for both The Darkened Land and The Bessoner. So definitely give Mary a shout out. We'll be talking to Larry in just a few moments. As always, I want to thank you for your support of my newest release called A Chance with Genevieve. Your response has been absolutely phenomenal. Thank you so much for it. If you haven't had a chance to get it, it's available online exclusively at Amazon. Go ahead and pick up your copy today. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past nine years. And as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash write stuff and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. To stay up to date, subscribe to PJC Media by going to pjcmedia.net. Click that pink follow button and you'll never, ever have to miss a show. And so without further ado, I'm going to bring Larry on. Larry, how you doing today? Doing well. I am so glad that you are back with me again. I always have enjoyed having you, so I'm really glad you're back. And our listeners haven't talked to you in a while, so go ahead and tell us what have you been doing since the last time you were with us? I wrote The Bastioners, obviously, which God just really blessed me. I pray before I start writing on, on my book, and he just helps me to write them. I go back and read it, and I find things that I didn't know were there. Since then, I have I've started work on the third book, but it has really been delayed. The Bastioners came out last November, and uh, my I started talking to my ex-wife, and she moved through a whole series of events that God took care of. She moved in next door to me. Whoa! And, and we're getting along well, but she had, just after she got moved in, she had a... Uh, really bad illness. It was a couple of spots on her liver. We thought they were cancer to start with, but they weren't. She had an infection and she was in the hospital for three weeks. My dad died at the beginning of January. So it's just been really crazy. She is still on antibiotics. In fact, she uh, the last time she went to the doctor, she said that it looks good and she won't have to take the antibiotics anymore, but finish off what she's got. So I definitely would I appreciate your listeners praying for that. And so I, I haven't really gotten much done on the third book yet. I'm, I've done about 4,000 words, so very, very slow this year. But 
the Bashners has done, and I'm, I'm very glad of that. I would say I'm proud of it. The whole point of the story is not having pride. And and really, I can't because God helped me so much with this. It's just a fantastic book, I think. Of course, I'm prejudiced a little bit. Well, one thing you mentioned, though, Larry, is the fact that when you write, you do pray and ask the Lord to give you the words. But I also know, just through personal conversation, I also know that you were looking for reconciliation with your personal life as well. So I'm glad that however that reconciliation happens, that you are in in a position to be of service. And maybe that has to take forefront to work on that. You know what I mean? So I'm glad to hear that. And I'm also glad to know that you're working on the third book. However long it takes, I know it's going to be good. So for our listeners out there, the first book in this series, and the series is called The Seven Towers, is called The Darkened Land. And the second book, which we're talking about today, is called The Bassiners. So the third book is going to be coming out, hopefully sometime within the next year. We don't know because it's all in the Lord's timing, what he's going to do. But yeah, I love that, Larry. Before we get into the book, let's go back a little bit. When you wrote The Darkened Land, that was your debut novel, correct? Yes, ma'am. What have you learned from your debut novel until now, particularly as it relates to the craft of writing? I know that when I start out, I'm, I'm really slow getting started. I know where I'm going. I'm, a, I'm what they call a pantser, not a plotter. I know where I'm going, but I don't know the story in between. And I pretty much write like I'm watching a movie. So it's just one scene after the other. The Bastards was a bit different because there were scenes that I wrote that were ahead of where I was, and I had to go back and fit them in. And and it it fits well. took me some work to do that because it's not how I write. But it's just a slow process to get started. And as the story evolves, because of the way I write, it's like watching the action in a movie and you move toward the climax. So it just increases the pace as it goes along. As you are a pantser, like I am, you kind of have an idea, but you don't want the directions because you do want that story to unfold naturally, I'm assuming. Correct? Correct. Yeah. And so when you're writing from books too, though, you do have to keep lines of communication open because you want to take some of the elements in book one to book two. Did you find that difficult, particularly since we're both panthers? Oh, yeah. And making the connection with the first. So the characters are all, most of the characters from the first book are in the second one. You met Diaphanous and Phileas and Farah who went in a totally different direction. But the rest of the characters from the first book are here. And then we meet new ones as well. But mostly it deals with the characters in the first book. That's usually the difficulty when it comes to dealing with an epic fantasy like you've written, because it's so epic and you're you're following on this journey. You know what I mean? And so you're going to be introducing all sorts of people in this story. But one thing you made sure to let us know is that this book is about pride. Why did you feel like highlighting the pitfalls of pride was so important, not just to the character's arc as a story, storyteller, but to the reader who's going to be reading it. Pride is really the essence of all sin. It's wanting to do what you want to do instead of what God wants you to do. And so you can't even come. Humility is basically the preeminent characteristic. I know that love is more, but before you even love, you have to have humility. If you don't have humility, you can't come to Jesus because if you if you aren't willing to humble yourself and repent, then you can't be saved. You still don't want to do it your, his way. You want to do it your way. And that's the whole point of salvation is changing your mind and changing your ways to line up with his and what he's done for you. It's really all about humility. That's, that's why I wrote this book. 
And I'm glad that you did because it's going to give us a new direction because in The Dark and Land, it's really about discovery, about truth, about light. And you weave these, these elements in so well into the narrative that even if you were just going to read it as just a surface novel with, without any subtext at all, you would enjoy it. But for those of us who really like to dig into our text, there's a lot going on here. But this one, you're doing the exact same thing. So that's why I want to commend you on that. And I've read some of the early reviews of The Bassiners and they're like, oh, this is a good book and there's a lot going on here. Now, I do have to ask because you said you haven't had too much difficulty connecting the dots, but last I checked, you were planning on this series to be seven books? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So do you think you're going to have that ease of connecting the dots with each book or are you going to be changing, shifting characters from one character to another, next generation? You know, how do you think you're going to envision that? I really don't foresee any problems, not because I don't, I know exactly what I'm going to be doing, but because God has been so gracious to give me the, the story and, you know, the characters and all. It's um, like diaphanous in the first story. I had no idea he was going to show up. I had an idea about two or three of the characters. He was one that just popped in out of nowhere. He turned out to be a very major character in that story. So I know and I trust that he's going to do the same thing with these next books that he's done with these first two. And everything's going to fit beautifully. And like I say, I'm going to find out things about it after I've written it that I didn't know was in there. Now, let's go ahead and talk about the Bassiners. So from book one to book two, what has happened to bring us to this book? And don't give away too many spoilers, because I do want to read both books. You know, but what has happened from book one to book two? Uh, well, you start book two, basically, where you were at the end of book one. Aurora is in the city of Agape with uh, Max and Kesniel and Ewald. And Laclaniel is on the road heading to the city the king's sending him to, which is Kara. Kara, by the way, means joy. So that's basically where you start. And uh, he has experiences as he moves down the road. From the first book, he became a Christian. And uh, in the book's terminology, he crossed the bridge. So he became a Christian. He became a knight in the king's service. He became a general, which is all a lot for a new Christian, you know, just right off, because this took place over the period of a few months. So he already has the tendency of pride. That's why the Bible tells us not to put people in leadership positions who are a novice. They're inexperienced, and that's where the devil will attack them. They, they'll get pride, and they'll go down. So he's the first place he comes to, preaches the gospel to them. They, they cross the bridge, and he's so happy to bring it to these peasants. So you begin to see that he's looking down on people. He's proud of himself. And from there, it just goes downhill. And as we often paraphrase, pride does go before a fall. So yeah, when you say it goes downhill from there, it definitely does. And from, like I said, early reviews of this book, they definitely say this had them on the edge of their seat as well. That, though, is really where the, the book came from is the fact that it says in Proverbs, a righteous man falls seven times and rises up again. And so the pride gets in his way. And he, like it says, the man who would not die, he dies seven times in this book. And it's because of his pride. That's, the, that's basically where the book came from. 
And for those of you listening, we are talking about the second book in the Seven Towers series by Larry Paris called The Basiners, The Man Who Would Not Die. If you want to get the first book and know what we're talking about, it's called The Darkened Land, Finding the Light and Defeating the Darkness. It's a Christian allegory. So if you like Pilgrim's Progress, this book has been compared to Pilgrim's Progress. So go ahead, pick up your copy today. Now, what I would love for you to do, Larry, is read an excerpt from The Basiners so our listeners can get a taste of it. Go ahead. If you want to set it up for us, you can. I'm going to go ahead and mute myself and take it away. What makes a hero? It isn't strength or courage, wisdom or power. Heroes are not paradigms. They're people. Heroes aren't made in the moment of crisis. They are made in the fires of adversity that strips them of everything they think they are. Humility makes heroes. No one rises to true greatness without being stripped of everything they think makes them strong. The fires that strip away pride and leave only a molten pool of personality, reduce the person to his essence. Then, when all strength is gone, and the hero-to-be knows how small and frail he is, that is when he begins to rise. For that is when he not only sees the needs of others, but when he begins to feel compassion for them. The king uses such circumstances to forge his greatest weapons, people who wholly rely on him. Chapter 1. Andre. Felonsville lay hundreds of miles west of the great city Agape. During Andre's long journey, he had done much to subvert the work of, of the even kind. Less than two miles away from Agape, he turned north at the crossroads. Puddles dotted the road before him, shining in the light of the city. To his right lay a hill surrounded by a field of brilliant white flowers. Oddly, they were a troubling sight. I don't like those. There's something about them. His brow furrowed, and he tried to turn his attention away from the sight, but the wind brought a strange voice to his ear. You shouldn't do this. Turn back while you can. Andre cracked the whip. The horse snorted and began to canter. He cracked the whip again, and the buggy rattled as the horse put on more speed. The clatter of the wheels crashing through the water dispelled the whispers. Andre relaxed until he crossed a ridge into a steeper descent toward the river, and the buggy began swerving back and forth across the road. He gritted his teeth and reined in the horse. Their speed waned, and the horse's gait returned to a canter. Andre breathed a sigh of relief. He looked back over his shoulder. That was too close. Settle down, or you won't be the one to put, stop the spread of the cursed light. Bad enough to fail and be punished, but to die? He was nearing the river, and a wide swath of saplings extended to the cliffs on his right and to the forest on his left. Before him, across the river, the towering white walls of the city rose before him, and the golden gates blazed in the light from the walls. The road curved to the left before crossing the bridge further on. He slowed the horse pool off as they approached the river. He could hear an unintelligible shout from a man on the wall. The gates opened, revealing a portcullis forcing him to a halt. A man with a halberd approached him from the right, while the man on the left fitted an arrow to his bowstring. State your business. I'm traveling to each of the great cities. I'm searching for jewelry I can sell and for new designs for clothing. The man with the halberd scrutinized both Andre and the carriage. He circled it, inspecting everything. The guard's face was slack-jawed, but his eyes were wide. The shiny black coach exuded wealth, and the horse was an exotic black carabiner. Andre smiled. He's never seen the like. The guard switched the halberd to his left hand and stroked the horse's flank on with his right. He smiled. Open the gate. He crossed the road to the port as the portcullis rose and resumed his position to the right of the gate. As the gate 
reached the top, Andre shook the reins and nodded to the man as the buggy moved through the gate. Driving soon grew difficult as the streets were made for foot traffic, horses and small carts, but certainly not for the ostentatious carriage that he drove. There were many pedestrians as well as a few horses, and his way was frequently blocked. He had driven no more than 100 yards when he decided to go back to the stable he had seen near the gate. This was not as easy as the street barely had room for him to turn his rig around. He blocked the path for the better part of five minutes as he maneuvered to find an opening in the traffic and labored to get the buggy turned. The task accomplished, he made his way back and soon pulled up at the entrance to Wainwright's livery, an establishment that drew a lot of business, though its appearance indicated it handled little more than, than horses and the transport of common folk. The ebony carriage and the handsome beast pulling it were out of place and drew attention of the grooms and the stable boys who, though very curious, remained at their work. Mr. Wainwright was quickly informed and soon appeared in the doorway. Aye, that's a beautiful rig you've got there. Yes, can you accommodate it? I don't want it scratched or handled by every attendant you employ. Aye, we'll take good care of it. And that gem of a horse you got pulling. How much, my good man? Three carpets a day for the horse and another for the rig. Seems a bit high, but done. I expect the best of care for both horse and carriage for that price, mind. Mr. Wainwright, who had a smile under his thick gray mustache, looked up at Andre as his smile faded. He sighed. Aye, sir. A sly smile crossed Andre's face as he saw the change in the man's countenance. I'll be dropping by from time to time. I may even want to take a ride in the countryside. By the way, the left front wheel is squeaking. Put some grease on it. The man turned and called for a stable boy and groomsman. He grumbled as he headed back to his office. Andre watched the workers and as they led the horse inside. Dan hitched the horse and stored the, the carriage in an empty stall. Satisfied they would be inadequate, if not expert, hands, Andre left to survey the markets and stores of the city, all the while looking for the future opportunities to disrupt and snarl its commerce and industry. The markets were crowded. He looked over the produce and nonchalantly grabbed an apple when the farmer was looking the other way. Leaving the market, he began devouring the apple as he scrutinized the shops for his next stop. There were a couple of clotheries and a dress shop nearby that would help him to establish his cover story. He entered the dress shop and perused the merchandise. He spent the next hour mired in conversation with a little man with bright red hair and a receding hairline. When he came out of the shop, it was late afternoon, and he decided to forego the clothiers and move to the next street. There he spied something of interest, an open stall with a jeweler as its resident. He watched with fascination as the man worked with gold and silver to make a brooch. It would indeed be a thing of beauty. <clears throat> Excuse me, came a booming voice from above his head. Andre, who was half a head taller than the other men in the crowd, turned and looked the giant of a guard square in the belly. His gaze began to slowly traverse upwards the man's face. He took in the sights along the way. Two huge hands placed on the hips, a massive red uniform that he knew must hide muscles that could break him in half as easily as he would snap a twig, and a black beard and curly hair. He must be eight feet tall. Y yes, Andrew stammered. You're a stranger here. It was a statement with a cutting, menacing edge in it. Yes, Andre Swallowdart. Yes, sir. The guard was examining him closely. His frilly white shirt and tight black pants must have been strange to this man as the 
citizen's clothes he had seen were unpretentious. His shiny black boots and black cane with a silver knobbed handle were also objects of interest. My name is Max. I'm Sergeant Major of the King's Guard. What's your business here? And that is an excerpt from The Basiners and The Man Who, Who Would Not Die, which is book two of the Seven Towers series. I really enjoyed that excerpt. I know I usually went, had you go a little bit longer than usual, but I loved reading it because it's so well written and it just really just brings you into the story, into the world, into the land. Lots of good things are going on with that. Particularly, I like how you use the preface as a way of transmitting what's going to be some of the themes in the story. So for those of you who are listening, make sure you pick up your copy of The Bassiners and The Man Who Would Not Die, available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Now, Larry, you already told us that you're working on a third book, so we know about that. But people want to get in contact with you. Where can we find you online? I'm on Facebook. I also have a website, but Facebook would be the more obvious choice if you're trying to get in contact with me, or LarryParrisBooks at gmail.com if you want to email me. Larry, in the few moments that we have left, and you already know what I'm going to ask you, is encourage those aspiring authors whom God has given the gift to write to pick up the pen and do so. The first thing I would say is pray. Pray every time you pick up the pen or touch the keyboard. We do this to glorify God, and that's impossible if you're not doing it in faith and if you're not in constant contact with it. So uh, that's first. Then make sure that you sit down and write. I know that just like me this year, there life happens. You can't get to writing. Sometimes you don't want to get to writing, but you must sit down and write. You're never going to get the book out if you don't sit down and write. Read. It's very important to read. Your writing will improve as you see other writers and sometimes the mistakes they made, but especially if you read good stuff like like Token and C.S. Lewis, who are just fantastic writers. You really have to hone your craft by writing itself and by looking at what others have written. And don't be afraid to write either. You can write whatever, and it may just be a bundle of gibberish. Every book has to be edited. And I found that out with the first one because I I actually published it and had to go back and get an editor to, to help me fix it. I remember. And I I honestly thought you should not have done that only because I have seen authors use that as a way to not get their book out there because they're trying to make it perfect. But when you say how you look back and saw, okay, I really need to take the time out to make sure this was a quality work because God does expect us to give him our best. You know what I mean? So I, I totally, at that afterwards, I said, okay, he has a point. <laughs> so thank you for putting it out there, but continue, please. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, no, that's all right. You said about making it perfect. You're not going to make it perfect. I mean, I read The Bastards again. I didn't read it. I was skimming it. And even today, I found one or two mistakes that need to be corrected as I as I go back. But uh, that's just the process. It's no matter, matter how many eyes you have look at it, it's still not going to be right. Just go ahead and, and um, get it edited. Make the changes you need to, to make. Go over it many times. And when you've done that, then put it out. It may still have mistakes, but you've caught most of them. 
Larry, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be here with me. Always enjoy having you. And when the third book comes out, I can't wait to have you back and have you back soon. Thank you. And we were talking today to Larry Paris. He is the author of The Base Centers, which is book two of the Seven Towers series, available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Make sure you go ahead, love on my brother, and get your copy today. And to find out how it all began, you got to pick up The Darkened Land, which is book one of the Seven Towers series. Now, Larry has some very ambitious plans for this series. What about you? What did you do with the idea that God gave you? Are you writing it or are you just sitting there? I encourage you to pick up the pen and write stuff. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen, Parker J, and you have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day.